enjoyed the last time, and uh, I'm glad to be back for another one. Is our buddy going to be on here? Is he a special guest? Is is Mario going to make an appearance, or is he uh, out snowballing? Who knows what he's up to? If if he does show up, <laughs> or if he does text me, and if you are watching Mario Mancini, you're more than welcome. Even though it's not the Mancini show tonight, but it's always Mancini show on Cheap Heat Productions. The man that brings the views, Mario Mancini. The draw, Mario Mancini. Yes, the man that the man that's debuted more superstars than anybody. Absolutely. Brian, I, I thought we'd uh, begin tonight with uh, a, a deep cut in, in terms of your career. Those uh, fans of a certain vintage fondly recall the AWA and uh, the national television deal that they had with uh, ESPN, the Total Sports Network, and just wanted to know how you uh, got booked. Actually, a two-part question how you started working for Vern in the AWA and whether or not you encountered in an announcer capacity, a young Eric Bischoff. Uh, well, I got from book from Vern. I, at that time I was working the uh, WWA territory, which was owned and ran by Dick the Bruiser and Wilbur Snyder. And then uh, Wilbur Snyder retired and Bruiser bought, bought him out. And then I was working exclusively for Dick. And then, of course, he still had some dealings, you know, with Vern and the, um, they got co-ran like Chicago and all that stuff and uh, had the opportunity um, from him, like, hey, you want to go up and work for Vern on some shows and all that stuff. So he kind of like sent me up there and uh, went up there from that. Bischoff, I, ne I never saw him, never once. I don't know if, I'm assuming back then he might've been like, you know, behind the scenes at like in, in the Minneapolis office and all that stuff. He was still there. Um, I never once did. I remember seeing him at Las Vegas when we used to do the TV at Showboat. Just, just to add on to that question. Uh, a lot of fans, myself included, remember that, uh, that syndicated program that emanated out of the Showboat Sports Pavilion with uh, Larry Nelson, the now iconic uh, uh, voice of the AWA at the time. What do you recall in terms of that venue in particular that saw so many great matches? Uh, I mean, it was a nice, it was basically a, a showroom, ballroom or whatever that they had it there, um, which, which was kind of, if you want to say old school to a point, because um, they put us up there and all that, and we come down and go into the thing. And then one dressing room was on one side, and the other dressing room was on the other side. So back then, it was like the old school. You couldn't talk to the guys because you're on each end. So you had to relay the stuff basically through the referee and all that stuff. Like, okay, here's what, we, you know, he wants to do this, 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 that. And okay, how about that? And then once you got in the ring, a lot of times it was called in the ring ad lib because you could never discuss the stuff, you know, like, in, you know, whether, you know, when we were in WWF or WCW where you're all together and it's like, okay, here's our match, whatever. What, what do you want to do tonight? Da, 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 da. This one was all kind of like going back and forth or whatever. And, and um, basically, in a, like I said, the old school formality of, relaying the uh what you're going to do back and forth to the referees 
and then basically it's kind of going out there and calling it in the ring. Awesome. Uh, Brian, I just have a question. Uh, you've been asked a million times, but I'm going to ask you, how did you end up working for the biggest wrestling company in the world, the WWF? That one, same thing. I was work, then I was working for Ganya. Um, and of course, you know, everybody was jumping. And um, a couple people, hey, you know, you need to, you know, call the WWF. And I got, um, oh, God, uh, Terry Garvin's number. And called him or whatever, and um, he was just like, you know, how long, you know, how long have you been working? Where you been working? Da 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 da. And he just said, okay, hey, we're doing TV and da 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 da. Uh, show up there. And then that, that basically went there. Um, got some matches. Obviously, they, you know, kind of liked what they saw. I mean, um, was one of the guys that could work. Um, so after that, I mean, I was getting, you know, bookings from e doing house shows and then uh, other TVs along the way and all that stuff. But that was just one thing of calling, you know, Garvin. And like everything else, I'm sure, even like Mario's thing, I mean, even though Mario was up there and had he had his foot in there a little bit farther than I, even though he says he doesn't, you know, uh, but, you know, he, he had a little bit more clout where, but then it's like every week call Terry, hey, what, what do you got for me, whatever, or, or sometimes it'd be, you show up for TV and it's like, hey, can you make this show, this show, this show? And then they give you this stuff or whatever and all that. And and, uh, and otherwise, it, you know, it was done there. Hey, call me uh, next week or whatever, and I'll see if there's anything available. And he would give me my bookings then. One of the uh, the crossovers that, that you worked in the AWA as well as WWF, and, and I'll get into – you know the just the who's who of tag teams that, that you faced uh, in your in your career, but one of them were the Midnight Rockers in the AWA, of course, Michaels and Janetti, and then of course the Rockers in, in the WWF. What was your experience like sharing the ring with with those those two, uh, you know, revolutionary workers? At it, the was, time? it was always fun. That's why I said I, I worked them. Countless times in the AWA, and then you know when we went to the, I mean it was, it was like riding a bike. It's like oh, oh it's Marty and, and Sean or whatever. So you knew what to expect. Um, never had a problem with either one of them. They they worked great with me and all that stuff. Now granted, there was a few times, um, and I remember one. I want to say it was one of the times we were up in Canada. It might have been uh, Saskatchewan or um, I think it's Regina, and we were working a tag match and we, and I had some, it was a newer kid was my partner and we're doing this stuff. And, you know, I tag out and whatever and, and work with Sean or Marty or, and then um, take him in there. And it was towards the end and I, and they were taking the finish on him or whatever. And I'm on the outside and Marty's on the outside and Marty starts laughing and looking at me and shaking his head. And I'm like, and he's kind of like motion and like watch this. And I'm like, no, don't, don't. And I mean, Sean did the super kick and I mean, literally took the kid's head off. And I'm just, I just, I just dropped my head like guys that, you know, and Marty's over there kind of like snickering, like watch it. It's like, but that was kind of like the, you know, somewhat the initiation where we got a new kid in here and all that stuff. And, you know, we're going to work with you, but he's going to take the abuse. And I mean, it was one of those, you know, it was definitely sweet chin music. 
were you were you surprised uh, when that that horrific injury took place uh, with uh, Janini and Michaels against um, the the Austin uh, individual? Were you surprised? Did they have a reputation for for being rough? No, no, and it was, and it's like you know, and, and me, me and Marty, we talked about that a few times, and we met up when he's he's actually worked for me a few times and all that. It, and I've, I've even taken that bump. It's an easy bump. Um, granted, things happen, but then, you know, from all the stuff I gather and her, I mean, uh, the kid wasn't experienced as he said he was. And, you know, sometimes you take a move and they tell you, hey, don't do this or don't move this way. And the kid kind of did. And um, that's what happened, whatever, you know, the kid broke his neck. Now, you know, granted to a point where I don't know if they really – at the time thought he was really hurt that, you know, that's, that's a thing too, where, you know, there's always that, you know, sign or you tell him like, Hey, you know, I'm injured or I'm hurt. You know, you let the guy know or whatever being new and kind of not ex- experienced, he might not have said anything to him. So that's why they can kind of like continue with the match and did like the, the double drop or whatever on that. Cause they, you know, I don't know if they really were sure that, the kid was serious. And then, you know, and then I, I remember, you know, then they had the lawsuit and all that. And, and uh, you know, I guess they, you know, kind of like settled out, but they, they kind of went after, you know, I guess Marty more than, you know, than the tag team or whatever and all that. Cause he was the one that executed the move, but you know, um, it was something unfortunate, but then again, there's been a lot of times, a lot of guys, um, and, and and I don't fault them to a point where people have that that dream, that goal. They want to be a pro wrestler, and they might not have the experience, but yet they kind of like fib, lie, all that stuff to get their foot in the door. And then there's some of the guys. I mean, and it was to a point, you know, in, in the WWF where you know, like when we did TV, a lot of times, you know, and there were some guys, and some of them are my you know close personal friends, and they were you know they were, you know, brutally honest going, you know, Hey, you know, I'm not going to give you a lot of whatever. I'm going to be eating you up. You know, it's nothing personal. It's, you know, Vince or Pat is coming down on me or whatever and all that. So we kind of like knew that going in that it was going to be kind of like snug and stiff or whatever and all that stuff. But you knew that. Um, And then, you know, they, they were appreciative just of, Hey, you know, you made me look like a million bucks and granted that was our job or whatever. And then there was other ones that, you know, kids just, didn't sell right, didn't bump right, and then some of those guys would actually take more liberties. And there were some guys that, you know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, people still, you know, like the Steiner brothers, you know, and I worked them probably half a dozen times, a lot of times with uh, Barry Horowitz. And, but the thing was, yeah, were they stiff and snug with us? Yeah, but that's the way they worked, but they didn't take liberties with us because one of the things they kind of, they knew we could work. They knew that we could bump and all that stuff and all that. But again, were they snug and all that? Yeah. But you knew what you were expecting on that one. Um, on that one where I saw other ones were, you know, yeah, they were, you know, you, you know, way before the Brock Lesnar's and all, you talk about Suplex City and all that stuff. They would just, you know, bounce guys on their heads and, and throw them around. They had no, no regard for their body. Just figured, eh, you know, these guys shouldn't even be in here. I mean, we did, we did, we did one television and I forget, <clears throat> excuse me, 
they might have been in Toledo or something like that. And, <clears throat> and they had like two guys out there and they were wrestling the Steiners and the match was just a shit from the get-go. <clears throat> and um and this was back when we used to do television. We did them like um the TV tapings like three in a row in that night. So we did, you know, there'd be, you know, 50, 60 matches or whatever, but it was for, you know, three weeks in a row. So the match was horrible. Steiners came back with her. Vince was ballistic. You know, that match sucked, blah, 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 blah. We're doing it again. You know, get me some guys that can work. And they sent, like, another match out there or whatever. And next thing you know, it's like, you know, Costello, Horowitz, come here. And it was, and we were up there, and we went out, and they, the Steiners just went in previous. And then here we come again, which, you know, was, te- you know, tape television. So they just, you know, edited that, deleted that. That match was never seen before. And, of course, people at home don't know that, but the people at the arena are like, well, then we just saw these guys. Well, here comes, you know, me and Barry out there to take on the Steiner brothers. And we went out there and had a decent match with them where they actually looked good and all that stuff. So they did that one. So things like that happen, you know. And they were, you know, that's one of the things that was really fun. I mean, back in the day, um, just uh, like when we used to do the taping before we went to the live ones, I was working Scott Hall when he was doing Razor Ramon. And I knew Scott from the AWA. So, and actually I was pretty good friends with him uh, in the WF. He was, he treated me nice and all that. And, and uh, a couple times we went out drinking and all that. And, and uh, uh, I just, I knew when to leave, oh, unlike him. But uh, we were doing a match or whatever. And, and he always did that big bolo punch at the end, you know, where he kind of set your chin and whatever and all that. And he's like, okay, take the big bump. And I'm like, okay, Scott. And he went around and spun and hit me. And I just stood there and went like, and you just look at him like, oh, shit, come on. I'm like, nope, not going to do it. I just kind of like pissed me off. He's like, come on, please take the bump. And I'm like, all right, give it to me again. Well, back then they could edit it out and snip it. So he did it again. And then I took a big bump or whatever and all that. And we got back and goes, you bastard. I'm like, I'm just screwing with you, Scott, or whatever. So I made him like actually work on that one because I wouldn't sell his first bolo punch. And, you know. Some of those times you could do that with some guys and have some fun and all that. And, and it, it was enjoyable. I watched a match of yours earlier from 1987 with Jake Roberts. And after the match, he, he puts the snake on top of your face. Is that something that you can practice? Like, did you guys go through what was going to happen? Obviously, you've probably had the snake on your face a few times, but... Talk to me about Many that times. process of adding nope. that. All, all I would do, and I enjoy it. I love working Jake. Um, uh, worked him a bunch of times. Always To me, it was always a night off. Um, I just asked him which snake they got. Because he'd have a uh, either a bow or a python. And the python would bite and the boa wouldn't. It just depends on how temperamental and how, you know, Jake was treating him or whatever and all that. And that's all I would say is just which one you got, whatever, you got the board or Python. And other than that, I never I never worried about it. Um, there was one time we did a match. Um, it used to be on YouTube. I, don't, I think they took it down at one point or whatever, all that. But it was one time when, and he just decided, he goes, you know, do you have a problem? No. He actually took the bag and 
put my head in the bag and wrapped it around there. So the snake in the, is in there and it's just over my head. And he's shaking it and all that. And the snake wasn't doing anything. It was just rolling around. It wasn't, you know. And then, you know, we did it. And then he pops the bag out and it goes, you know, all over and all that. And we, I got back to the back and guys are like, oh, my God, you're nuts. Why'd you, you let him put your head in the bag or whatever and all that? What if that snake bit you and all that? I got, well, I said, I go, I told it was the boa. It wasn't the python. So I wasn't worried. I said, if it did bit me, you see me pop out of the mat real, mat real quick or whatever, you know, stomping on that thing or whatever. But. It never happened. Never had to worry about it. Um, I know some guys were really definitely afraid of it, um, but I never worried about it. Any any backstage incidents with the snake ever? Oh yeah. Um, well, he always used to. I mean, most. Of, like I said there was a lot of guys that were just definitely afraid of it. And I remember uh, one time we were wrestling in Indianapolis at the old Market Square Arena. And he used to always throw it in the shower and turn the water on and the snake would just be playing around in the water and all that stuff. And, and uh, it, I think it was Jose Rivera or Jose Estrada, maybe, um, was on the, and in there, the showers was like over here and the toilets were over there. And he was in the toilet doing his business. And the snake decided to wander. And he's sitting there reading a newspaper or something like that, you know, relaxing, kind of looks down. Next thing he knows, he sees a uh, snakehead kind of peer up at him and all that and, and oh, maybe wink at him and you hear, ah, and go, and he's running out of <laughs> the stall arrest. So, I mean, something like that happened. It was just, you know, the snake was just exploring. That's tremendous. One, one of the, uh, individuals that you worked in the AWA and uh, WWF uh, was Mr. Magnificent Kevin Kelly, who of course went on to become nails in uh, the WWF. Did, did you find uh, him to be uh, a volatile individual or were you, were you absolutely uh, surprised when uh, the incident with Mr. McMahon came out to the wrestling folks? No, I mean, Kevin was always, he was always good to work with. Um, I know when we worked in the AWA, I, I would say to him, he was still kind of like green and all that stuff. So, I mean, there was a lot of times um, you might have to take control of the match and, and still make him look good or whatever. He just wasn't that, you know, he wasn't a seasoned worker and all that stuff. And, and um, still stiff. I mean, you know, but not not on purpose. He just, it's just he wasn't a good worker, and so you knew that. Um, so, but that one, because actually, and the funny thing is, like a, he's back in the day when you know, then he started doing independence. He's worked for me like two or three times, and I even had to wrestle him on my own show, and it's just like, and it was almost like, uh, yeah. And I knew what it was going to be like. He, he was still the same, and he was doing the nails character, and he was still stiff. And just like listen to me and all that, and, and uh, you know, and do this, do that, and all that. And um, so, I mean, I always got along with him. Um, I mean, we, I even had one show where I booked, and, and I booked him against Greg Valentine. And then Greg comes up to me and goes, "Why'd you, why'd you put me against that stiff prick?" Because <laughs> we just everybody knew he was just hard to work with, and it, it wasn't on purpose. He didn't try to hurt you. He just wasn't that great a worker. 
So when that happened or whatever, I mean, I think there's more to it than what it is. You know, there's, you know, he's saying that, you know, Vince grabbed him and all that. I don't know. I think it's somewhere along the line of two money involved or, um, you know, wasn't getting what he was guaranteed or promised or something. And that, that, you know, kind of like nobody really knows except for two or three guys that were actually there, what happened, but, you know, you know, did he kind of grab a hold of Vince or whatever and, and choke him? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, I mean, I think he was just fed up with, I mean, there's a lot of guys I think like to do that at the time. Yeah. I was going to ask you, have you heard of anybody backstage besides, I mean, that, that story is sort of ubiquitous, but have you heard of anybody else that kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say assaulted, but um, got in Vince's face in an aggressive manner because he seems to stand out in that respect? No, I don't. Th- I mean, there might have been like shouting matches between guys, you know, in, in, in the uh, behind closed doors meetings or whatever, with, you know, what was guaranteed, what was promised. I, you told me you're going to do this with me, that, and, and then guys would get fed up and, and maybe give their notice and leave or something like that. But as far as assault, I mean, the only two I hate to say that, you know, really you know about is Nails and Bret Hart. And, you know, the two, you know, the two that basically, you know, took a swing and contacted with him. Brian, I'd like to talk about some of the, the tag team partners you've had over the years and who would you pick as some of your favorite partners? One that stood out to me was a man that we had on the show here before, the Dublin Destroyer, Brian Donahue. Did they put you two guys together because you bought War Green? Or what was the story of you two guys being together? I, they might have on that one. I wish they would have did something with us or whatever because we both had that, you know, kind of like that same outfit. Um, we were only partners a couple times. Um, I know uh, Sandy Beach, I partnered with him a couple times. Barry Horowitz, a lot. Uh, Dusty Wolf, a lot. Um, Reno Riggins had him as a partner. And then. Those were kind of like the main ones. Like a lot of times, the guys, uh, Gino Carabello, uh, those maybe five or six guys were the most of the time. And then sometimes it was just like one hit wonders. Um, this is the guy, or whatever. And, and you know, it's and sometimes depending on who you're gonna work, like, hey, this guy's gonna take, you know, he's gonna take all the pounding and abuse, and then maybe we're gonna catch the finish on you because we know you can do it right. And all that stuff. So, um, and then sometimes it wasn't even that they just do the finish on that one or whatever. I know I forget the guy's name. It, it was a, it was a big kid or whatever. I mean, we were working like uh, road warriors or whatever and all that. And I remember, you know, Hawk and Animal kind of looking like, I think we're taking the finish on you. <laughs> I don't think they thought he could, they could get that big guy up or whatever. Like no problem and all that. So, and that was nothing. I mean, it was basically doing a backflip off of Animal's shoulder. I mean, it was. You know, he had a hold of you, and as soon as Hawk would almost, like, touch or whatever, he just kind of give you that, and you just take that back flip back. So it was nothing to it. A lot of uh, fans, Brian, still talk about and remember that uh, famous uh, incident that you had in the ring on Superstars in 88 with Andre the Giant. Can, can you talk about how that came together and your relationship with him? That one, like I said, it was it was setting up the feud with uh, with uh, Andre and Hacksaw, and I, you know, I know Pat just grabs and said, "Hey, come with me, whatever." I'm like, "Okay." It's like you know, you're working with the boss. I'm like, 
you know, and he's sitting there playing cribbage or something like that or whatever and all that. And like, okay. And, and there was really nothing said or whatever and all that. It's like, cause Andre knew me, I said from times where, um, I used to have to go get his liquor for him and all that stuff. And it was, um, went out there and he's just like, just listen to me boss. And I'm like, okay. And he grabbed me from the thing. I said, did this head butts or whatever and all that stuff. And then, uh, before the bell rang and then tossed me out of it. And, and even on that one, like I said, it was one of those things where, you know, you heard stories where, you know, he, well, you know, he didn't like, you know, like Savage or, or sometimes even uh, Jake or Iron Sheik and stuff where, you know, he'd be a little rough on them. It, it was night off. He did, you know, his head butts never felt one. And it looked like he was just taking my head off and all that stuff. And sure easy did. night. I mean, that was, that was it or whatever and all that and enjoyed it. I mean, like I said, and, um, not a lot of people got a, you know, a chance to really work with him most of the time. I mean, it was main eventers, whether it was house shows or even TV setting up a thing. So, um, it was a privilege to work with him and, and yet that in the record books, I got the win over him. <laughs> Great. What was it like, um, being around Hulk Hogan? What was he? What, how was he perceived in the dressing room? Because a lot of people I say, mean, I, he's, uh, I had a, you know, a couple of times I see him or whatever, say hi or whatever. Not. I mean, most of the time he was, um, you know, off in his own dressing room, like you know, the big stars at that time, the champions had their own room or whatever, and all that. Um, I mean, he wasn't like you know snobbish or whatever. I mean, he would you know say hi to you or whatever and all that stuff. I mean, I never really had any talks with him or whatever. Um, the only the only time really was I think we were in Omaha doing TV or whatever, and uh, we were all there was a bunch of us dressing in the dressing room, and he was in there, and and uh, uh, a bunch of the boys decided to partake in um, some uh, let's say funny cigarettes, and I remember him coming up like, "Hey, watch the door." Holler, holler at us if somebody like one of the agents would come in here and all that stuff. And, and, uh, cause I was getting dressed towards the door and all that stuff and, and did that or whatever and all that. And I think at the one time Pat was getting ready to come in there and like, boom, you know, like guys, gay babe. And the next thing you know, you know, the, uh, and then Pat comes in there and there's like a big smoke cloud of what the hell is going on? And well, it was like, what are you, what are you talking about? What, 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 you know, it was all gone and, and all that stuff. But I mean, he would, uh, he was nice or whatever and all that. I mean, I, I never had any problems where, he, you know, we're at the point where he, you know, snubbed me or, you know, was too good to talk or whatever. I mean, a lot of times he was busy doing other stuff because, uh, I mean, he was the face of the company. He was carrying the company and all that. I mean, that was the time, too, when, when he was champion. We were, we were running three towns a night. And we were running... Basically, I mean, we did TV like Mondays and Tuesdays, but Wednesday through Sunday, we were running live shows. And um, twice on Saturday and twice on Sunday. So, and they, at that time, they had, like I said, they had three towns a night going. They basically had an, uh, an A squad, a B squad, and a C squad. And you always really wanted to try to, you know, you love to be on the A squad because usually that was Hogan in some place. And then, you know, your pay was a little bit higher on his, but. You know, they'd usually have him there and maybe whoever was intercontinental champion might be on the B one. And then maybe a tag team champion was on the C one and all that, uh, to give people something to, uh, to see. 
Got a, a timely fan question from Ibzan. He's asking how stiff was the Texas Tornado uh, Kerry Von Erich like in the ring? And of course, Von Erichs uh, have a lot of spotlight on them with the release of that Iron Claw movie in December that I personally enjoyed. But what about Kerry during that late tenure of his career? I I worked Kerry a couple of times. And I remember the first time, and, and he was, on that one, he was never stiff, even with his distance, bolo punch and all that. But the funny thing, or, you know, I, I hate to say the sad thing was, um, I remember the first time I worked him, we were doing a television match, and actually it was, and I think it, that one still might be on YouTube or whatever and all that. We went over to match, and I think we had maybe four minutes or something like that, three and a half, four minutes, which is actually a long time for TV or whatever. Um, and we sat down and we went over our match and it, the premise, it was a good match. What we went over and all that stuff. And I go out there first and Danny Davis was our referee. And that time was like, and I'm out there, but ready and all that. And they have and he's like, who are you working? And I go, Carrie. And he just shook his head and he goes, oh boy. I go, what do you mean? He goes, he won't remember a freaking thing about the match. And I'm like, get out of here. He goes, nope. And here comes Carrie doing his thing, blah, 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 blah. And we went and did the lockup. And he goes, what are we doing? He had no clue. And we just went over our match in the back of whatever, what we were going to do. And through all the whole match, it was just kind of like calling the spots left and right. He just completely forgot whatever we did. And then, that was just a sign, I mean, to what, of just the drugs that, his mind was so fried that, I mean, he was a nice kid. I mean, good worker and all that. And that was back still when he had, you know, the, the light thing where, you know, a lot of people didn't know that. But um, I was kind of shocked to a point where, you know, I really didn't believe Danny until we went locked up. And he's like, uh, what are we doing? And he, he just completely blank. But no, to me, he wasn't stiff. Not at all. What's your what's your thoughts on? I know you worked Virgil, and he's got an interest in demeanor even even to this day. Was he always kind of the same? Yeah. And of course, we wish well. He's gone through some health problems at the moment as well. Yeah, and actually, and it's, it was. I mean, he's another guy too. Um, at the time, I mean, uh, and I got along with him fine. Um, he always thought he was like, hey, say, you know, on the level of you know. Hulk Hogan, Ted DiBiase, Macho, and it's like, dude, you're not. You know, and that's what he thought he was. He's another one too. You go out there and, and you know what? What if it's a TV match? You know, the, the guy's planning forty spots. It's like, dude, we're out there for two and a half minutes, and you ain't gonna remember half of them. You're like, oh, I'm like no, you're not. We're gonna do like four, and. He, he was, you know, and if it was a house show too or something, he'd do, you know, but he, he just thought, you know, he was like a, a great worker and all that stuff. And, and uh, uh, he was just, he was, you know, he lived off of Ted's um, fame and all that, being the bodyguard. I mean, he wasn't a horrible worker, but he wasn't a great worker either, you know. And there was a time then after he left and he was done with New York and WCW and all that. And, and actually, uh, I had him in on a couple of shows and, and then booked, actually I booked him for a buddy of mine, which he still never lets me forget about it. He was such a pain in the butt. Cause you know, he, he was just kind of like 
ridiculing the guys and looking down on them and all that. And he's like, you know, when I sold out Madison Square Garden and the Boston Garden, the Spectrum, and it's like, and then guys are just kind of like in shock and they didn't know what to say. And I had to say, Virgil, shut the F up. You didn't sell it out. It was Hogan and Ted, you know, or, you know, it's, and he just kind of like be quiet and, and, and clam up and like, dude, you, you know, it's like, you got to be respectful to these other guys. These guys are trying to climb the ladder. You're already, you were there and now you're doing independence. So don't degrade them to a point. And now I said, yeah, now he, you know, he's having health problems and, and went through some, you know, crisis. And, and then we all know the story of, you know, Hey, you want an autograph picture? I'll sell you an autograph picture, you know, where you're selling those. But, um, I got along with him. Okay. But I said, he, he, he thought he was a bigger star than he actually was, which, I mean, some of those guys were like that. I mean, there was a few guys when, you know, we'd go like, you know, television matches, like, you know, they want to do 40 spots. And it's like, guys were out there for three minutes. It's bing, bang, boom. Now, granted, if you had some workers that, you know, even in three minutes, whatever, you could, you know, you could do and, and, and have a good match and tell a story, you know, whether, you know, it was perfect or Jake or even Hex. But then there's other ones that, you know, they wanted to, you know, resurrect the Ricky Dragon Steamboat and Ric Flair match out there. And it's like, guys, we got three minutes and you're not that good. Um. One of the uh, interesting uh, features of your of your career that I, that I noticed doing research was they they put you with Outback Jack in '88 several times, which must have been a uh, you know in hindsight a, a vote of confidence in your abilities. Uh, did you have any special instructions with this guy? Given the those of us that can remember that monster push they had in mind with him, I think Jack nobody wanted to work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I said, I, I was like married to him for like a week one time. It's like, and I mean, we had, we had decent matches and all that stuff. And, and, uh, it was, it was fun working with him. I mean, um, you know, and we all know the stories of how they, you know, he was abused and all that. And the guys picked on him. I mean, that I went out there and, and worked with him and, um, I, I can't really say anything bad about, you know, another one, super nice guy, really nice guy. Was he a great worker? No. But, you know, you, you sometimes it's the other person that's got to make him look like a million bucks and a star. And, you know, I hate this, you know, that and I'm nowhere do I compare myself. But it's, it's kind of like Ric Flair when he was world champion. He'd go around all these different towns when they're NWA. And sometimes, you know, they'd have to have their top guy. and Maybe he wasn't it or whatever. And say, hey, we, you know, we don't want our champion getting beat. But, you know, when Flair had to carry him like for an hour or something like that and, and Sometimes you just have to carry the match and, and, and have a good match or respectable match out of it. Um, another one, and I, and I loved him to death, and I worked on a bunch of, like Hillbilly Jim was another one. We had some great matches. He wasn't a great worker, but we could have some fun and do some stuff and get the people riled up and by just doing the littlest stuff or whatever. But And he worked with it because he knew. I mean, again, you know, he knew he wasn't a – Ricky Steamboat or Randy Savage, and he was going to do kind of like the comedy act and, and you sell and bump or whatever. But yeah, he'll give you, you know, the, the time or whatever to get your comeback or get heat and all that stuff. And, and it was fun. And, and Outback was the same way. I mean, I will, you know, Jim was a lot better worker than him, but 
um, I think that again, it was just kind of like, they're all like, oh God, we got to put him on the card, but who do we put him with? <laughs> and a lot of guys just didn't want to work with him just because you knew to a point the match was going to be the shits and you just had to make the best out of it. Were, were, were you aware that uh, they had big plans for him on the whole Crocodile Dundee thing? Oh yeah, thing? they went off of the, you know, the Crocodile Dundee and all, and I think it, it, it just, it just, you know, uh, a, a fart in church. It's yeah. just like, uh, and people just didn't, you know, and they just, you know, it, it ran its course or whatever. And then they got rid of him and all that stuff, you know, but again, super nice guy. Steve Kern kind of became the new crocodile Dundee then, didn't he, down the road? Yeah, but see, that, there you take a guy that, you know, and he did that savage type thing or whatever, but Steve could work. Steve was a, yeah. a hell of a worker, you know, from, you know, his early days in Florida to where the fabulous ones and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, he was just kind of like, that was a time where, you know, uh, guys with gimmicks, you know, we got to give a guy a gimmick or whatever, instead of putting, you know, I hate to say, you know, that's kind of like, you know, instead of bringing Harley race up, there was a, you know, eight time world champion who could, you know, would work. They made him, you know, King Harley race and all that stuff. And kind of like saddled him with that gimmick and all that. And, uh, I mean, I know at the time, um, which is kind of ironic at the time when basically when AWA went out, you know, there was talk about bringing not Nick Bockwinkle in there, but Vince didn't want him because he thought he was too old at that time. And it's just like, he could still, at that time, if he would have came in there, outworked half the guys in the company because he was that good a worker. But Vince is like, oh, he's too old to be in here. So he came in as an do agent. You, do, you, Go ahead. do you think, Brian, that, do you think that of all the kind of quote unquote enhancement guys that came into the company, that probably Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn brawler, was the only one that kind of outlasted into the 90s and got somewhat of a push? Why do you think that was? Well, we know why that was, so I won't go into it. He was friends with a couple guys in the office that, you know, I'm sure Mario. Okay, has, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Mario has, you know, he's mentioned that a few times and all that. I mean, Lombardi was another one. Uh, team, I tagged him, tagged him with him a few times. Um, never had a problem with Steve and all that. I always got along with him. But, yeah, that was – did I see that? Personally, no. Do I know that? You know, that's just the rumors going around that he was personal friends and was some of the guys in the office or whatever. And that's why he, you know, lasted so long and, and all that stuff. So, and again, everybody has a choice and the, their thing or whatever. And if he, if he did do what they say, I hate to say, you know, God bless him. That was his choice. You know, some guys just said, no, I'm not, you know, on that one. But I will say, um, I, a couple of times I said working with him as partner, he was great to work with. I know the one time, um, which me and him worked men on the mission and, and that was God awful. And, and, uh, and there's, you know, two guys too, that couldn't work and especially Mabel, he was just horrible. And he did that. And they used to tell him whatever and all that. And they tried to get him away from it, but he saw it do that flying spinning kick. And, uh, that was one of the ones he did it. And he did it on me, and, and, uh, and he's supposed to hit you in the chest with it. Well, he hit me across the face, whatever, with it. Split my eye open and all that stuff. And and, uh, and I remember it laying in the ring or whatever at the thing, and Lombardi was like, oh, look, you know. And, and I'm like, 
is it really coming down? He goes, yep. I'm like, because I could feel it or whatever. But I said, you know, he came back or whatever. And even first one I see back there was Pat Patterson. And he just went fully like, oh, and just went and just ripped him a new one. It's like, dude, you can't be out there killing our guys. Well, I didn't mean, it's like, dude, you're doing it all the time. And it was like, you know, especially like workers. And I know Pat was really upset with it at that time or whatever that, you know, that he uh, split me open. When you talk, when you talk about the workers, and obviously we talk about Barry Horowitz not getting the push that he deserved. Is there anyone that you think is within that bracket that should have lasted longer in the business as well? Ah, uh, well, I said, I mean, Lombardi got a push was in there for a long time. Barry definitely should have. They should have did more with him. Um, and you know, and there was a, guys that came and went. I mean, you know, uh, Brady Boone was a good worker when it was there, you know, and, and then they gave him that battle cat gimmick. Um, and that kind of like fizzled to a point. Um, oh, oh, I'm trying to think what the kid was. Um, it was down in Texas and Florida. Uh, Al Perez, maybe that might've been one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Al Perez uh, with Gary Hart in the NWA. Yeah, was no, he, he was up there and I think they gave him some, um, another one that, you know, but that was a thing too. At the time when guys came in there, Vince had to give him a gimmick, you know? Um, so, I mean, there was a lot of guys that came through there and, and they, they're, to me, they were stars in other territories that came up there and, and, and did okay, but maybe never reached that stardom just because they had a goofy gimmick and all that. Um, and, you know, to, you know, every, we all know, you know, the Terry Taylor and the Red Rooster. We know that, you know, and, and I worked Terry a few times. Or whatever. I, I know I worked in the one time when he came back, he had just had knee surgery and actually he wasn't really healthy enough to come back, but I guess they told him like, Hey, you need to get back there. Otherwise, you know, we're going to pink slip you. And we were working a, a television match and he was scared to death because his knee wasn't completely healed. He could hardly move in the ring. And I just, you know, and I said, Terry, I got you. I said, just do very little. I will cover for you. I'll take the bumps and all that stuff. And we did this stuff and, and it, you couldn't really notice because he had a hard time even getting to the ring, coming up the stairs and all that. But we did, you know, but he was just in fear for his job and all that because they, they made him come back sooner or whatever and all that. And, uh, um, but there's not, you know, he was a heck of a worker, but he had to do, they gave him that goofy gimmick. In terms of uh, another uh, vote of confidence uh, from the office in, in your work, I, I, I remember uh, you working Dusty Rhodes on uh, Challenge uh, in 89 shortly after his uh, jump from uh, JCP and Dusty not being what he was, say, you know, five, eight years ago from that. I'm just, I'm just wondering how, uh, given, given the fact that he was Dusty Rhodes, uh, how that match how you went into that match knowing that, of course, they were going to uh, push him. Yeah, you know, that's a funny one, Jack. I, and that's one of you, I had to go back and look. Yeah, I worked him. I don't remember working him. <laughs> so I don't think it was that memorable for me on that one. I don't remember. And there, I mean, again, I've worked so many guys or whatever when they came through there and all that. Um, 
So um, I, I can't, on that one, I can't really answer, say, hey, it was a good match, it was a crappy match. I don't remember working him, but I, and I do say, oh, yeah, you know, there's things out there, yeah, you worked him, like, oh, okay. Um, it wasn't memorable on that one where I can even say this, like, oh, yeah, I wrestled that one, this one, that one. But he's one of the ones that, I guess it was just a phase in there that, but again, you know, um, that was, you know, Vince's deal of, you know, with the polka docks and kind of make, you know, I mean, here's another one. He was, you know, a, a heck of a worker, a big star and all that, who, it's funny, who had great matches back in the 70s working for the old man, mm-hmm. you know, and who was a big star in, in, in the Mecca Madison Square Garden with, you know, great matches like with superstar Billy Graham. And then you bring him back in later who, you know, when he was the booker for the NWA and going against you and you saddle him up with that kind of, but Dusty was a professional and, and made the best of it and got over because of who he was and his charisma. Well, I remember the match and you took the bionic elbow, like, uh, like a million dollars. So there you go. So, I mean, it's like I said, but that honestly, I do not remember it, but I, I have seen like, Oh yeah, you worked him like, Oh, okay. And there's some too. There's some I don't even want to remember. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's. He, let's. he was a nice guy too. I remember, like you know, like Joe LaDuke. I, uh, I worked yeah. him. That yeah. you know, that was another one. that was kind of like a horrible match, but I worked him. You know, mm-hmm. but there's just some guys you want to forget. Do you remember working the big boss man as the guardian angel in WCW? Yeah, on that one because when I was down there, I, I, you know, I did you know a half dozen or so matches. Um, and he, again, Ray was great. I worked him when he was a boss man in New York, so that was a night off. I mean, um, I remember some of the guys I worked. You know, um, I know I worked Eric Watts down there. I worked Bossman as Guardian Angel. Uh, I worked um, Pillman. Vader. Vader. Yeah. Well, th- we know the story on that one. That's. You know, uh, that don't get me going on that one, Jack. We only did the last one <laughs> piece of crap. Uh, but I mean, you know, for the most part, it was I had you know good experience working guys down there. You know, Harlem Heat, uh, uh, Stephen Regal had a, had a fun match with him and all that stuff. And you know, and he'd take me to the brink of almost stretching me, but then he wouldn't, and then it's just kind of like chuckling my ear and all that, like, oh, you're pretty flexible there. Uh, so, you know, and, but we had fun or whatever and all that stuff to where, you know, um, it was enjoyable. The only one I didn't, you know, like I said was, uh, and that's, like I said, we did, uh, I did the tag team match when the NWO was doing their stuff and, and worked Hall and Nash again down there, which, you know, and, and had that, had that discussion with Kevin and who was super great about it or whatever. Like, oh, I'm going to give you the, you know, the power bomb, like, it's just kind of, I was hesitant and whatever. And it's like, what? I go, and then, you know, we had to talk like, well, you know, last time I said, you know, Vader did that. And he even said, he goes, well, Vader's a piece of shit. He doesn't know how to do it. He goes, I'm just going to lift you up and release you. And you're going to take the, the fall and the bump yourself. He goes, I'm not going to drive you through the matter or anything like that. He goes, I'm just going to lift you up and let go. And that's exactly what it was. You know, where when Vader did it, he tried to drive you right through the ring. What was the what was the main difference for you between working in WWF and WCW? What were the notable differences in the locker room? Oh, I mean, it's just 
I guess just it, the professionalism. I mean, it was it was like night and day. It was like you know, I hate to say, big league, triple A to a point where I mean, even though you had some some of the same stars and all that, just the way the the product was ran, um, how it was ran, uh, the production of it or whatever. Um, you kind of like, or who who's in charge? Who's the boss? If you had a problem, you knew who to go to in WWE up or hey, can I talk this? WCW sometimes is like, uh, who do I, uh, you know, you know, or, you know, sometimes, you know, you might be working, you see the board and you're working this guy and then you go look again and it's been changed and it's another guy. Then 10 minutes later, it's another, you know, it's changed. It's like, I, you know, I've, I've gotten three opponents in, in 15 minutes and who am I working? It, it was just kind of a crapshoot of, as I said, sometimes the, the inmates were running the asylum. It sounds it sounds a lot like um, current life because we know what I'm referring to with the way the WWE is run and the way AEW is run, and I I roll it back to letting their biggest star walk out the door and straight into another company. Yeah, like I said, I don't know on that. One. I, I I still have not seen AEW, so I don't know how how that product is. I haven't. I said I don't watch that much wrestling now. Um, I don't know. It's it's. It's a different time. It's a different era. Like I said, you know, and Mario's brought it up to a point, you know, I got into it. I was a pro wrestler and all that and professional wrestling. Now it's sports entertainment. Mm. You know. Why, why, why did you, Brian, ultimately decide to kind of walk away from the business then? I know for a long time you did come back and do some shows. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm still, I still do it once, you know, once in a while. I hate saying, you know, I've been in like 40 years in, in or so, um, and I still do, I still said, I still run my show here and people still call me and all that, you know, again, you know, I'm 60 years old and, and did it for 40 years or whatever. It's the body could only take so much and all that. And, uh, you know, can I, you know, can I still get in there and do the stuff? Yeah. Can I do the stuff that I used to do? No. Um, and if I want to do it, I, I can do one or two or whatever, but boy, it's going to hurt the next day. <laughs> if I do that big bump. Mm -hmm. I had a, a fan on social media when, when we advertised that you're coming on, ask me to ask you about uh, a team that uh, also had a successful tenure in the AWA, the destruction crew, but then Enos and Bloom went over to the WWF and uh, were given that Beverly brothers uh, gimmick, uh, which you, which you worked them on television do you have any recollections of of them in uh, the WWF in terms of your in-ring experience and why they didn't go farther? Um, well, I think at that time, too, it was just because they were decent workers. I remember, you know, um, I know I want to say I think a couple times I teamed up Wayne in the AWA and then they he'd find he went with they teamed him up with Mike Enos and then they started that destruction crew. Then they went up there. I just think to a point that they had so many tag teams at one time up there, the different ones. And I, again, um, they had kind of look where they could be like, you know, brothers and all that, the Beverly brothers, you know, um, they were good workers and all that. Why they didn't necessarily get the push of the elevation, you know, I mean, I guess to a point where they were still worried more about the natural disasters, Legion of doom, demolition, uh, uh, the nasty boys, Steiner, you know, power. He had like bigger ones up there and they were just like down lower 
uh, on the totem pole to a point where they just never got that push to elevate. You know, they're, you know, they were kind of the same thing, I think, in the same group, almost like the Orient Express, which mm-hmm. was then basically Tanaka and uh, Diamond, who are also in the AWA, and they shifted them over there. They just, that mid-card, but it was just hard to break that upper barrier because they had so many of the big boys up there and tag teams. Do you, uh, in terms of tag teams, because you just mentioned, you know, you've, you've wrestled them all, basically, the Bulldogs, Brain Busters, Young Stallions, Powers of Pain, Heart Foundation, Bushwhackers, it goes on and on and on. Do, do you uh, understand or, or do you have an opinion on why, you know, you know, for many fans, they really enjoyed tag team wrestling, of which I'm one. I, I don't think there's, uh, you know, in terms of psychology and, and entertaining, uh, that, that, there's something better than than a, t- a good tag team match like back in that golden era. Do do you uh, have any thoughts on why they we we don't seem to have very many if if at all established teams anymore and uh, especially in the WWE. Well, I mean, I don't. I, I know they go they go through different periods. And I, I know at one time when we had so many of them, Vince wasn't real keen on tag teams. Didn't like and it's like and they had great tag teams. You just mentioned a whole bunch of them and you you know. And there's something you didn't mention and all that stuff. They had great guys that looked together, looked alike, gelled well, uh, wrestled well together. The fans loved them. Um, I I just think some reason he's just never really cared for them that way. You know, they always like would break them up or whatever, you know, um, whether, you know, like the strike force when they broke up and the heart foundation, if you want to say broke up or Brett went single, the rockers, you know, it's just like he eventually they all, he would dissolve them and, and try to get, you know, out of individuals out of that. But uh, I don't know if you, if you've got a good, a good pair or whatever that look, I mean, cause back even when the, the when Vince senior, you, some of the great tag teams they had up there, they were built on that from, you know, the moon dogs, the wild Samoans, Johnson and, and uh, Atlas, you know, Putz Adonis and Murdoch. Yeah, I mean, they had great tag teams. The Blackjacks, the Valiant Brothers, uh, you know, they they carried that company along with the heavyweight champions and all that stuff. And, and they've always had excellent tag teams. Now, I, I, I don't, it, it's almost like let's grab this guy here from A and grab this guy from E, slap them together and you're a tag team. And they have no style or, or rhyme or reason. And, we're, we're, you know, we're going to make you guys work. And, and again, guys work differently. You know, some, you know, and, and you look at most of the ones you, you just mentioned, all that, they all gelled well together. They were just like a, a well machine to just, you know, move after move and all that stuff. And, and they worked well. And you don't see that nowadays. Because they just grabbed, you know, like one guy from one pile, one guy, you're a tag team. We're going to call you, you know, Smith and Jones or whatever. Brian, I want to know, I'll just ask the question straight out, your best WWF party story. Party story? Yeah. Uh, I Well, one of the ones I, you know, that just come by, just because I like those guys or whatever we were in like Des Moines, Iowa or something like that. We just finished and we came back and actually, and they, they were, 
they were drinkers, but Mr. Fuji and Hercules and me were at the table and we were drinking. And they, and Fuji was buying drink after drink. And of course, Hercules could pound it. He, you know, he was a monster. Um, and I was there and I, I might've had at the time, like four or five beers or whatever. And my thing was, I wasn't drinking a lot because I was leaving and going, driving to the next town, which was another, like someplace in Iowa. And these guys, some of these guys were staying. And I know Fuji was like, he was just buying them, like, you know, setting them there and all that stuff. Boom, boom, boom. And all that. Come on, come on. And I'm like, no, I'm not, you know, and I'm like, hurt, take mine. He's like, okay, boom. And he was just down in the beers and all that. And I just in that, you know, half hour time or less than that. I mean, I remember Herc had over 20 some beers and Fuji, you know, was drinking a lot too. And they were, you know, Oh, come on, come on. And and again, they were nice enough and all that. And I knew him whatever, but I was like, no, guys, I can't, I'm driving to the next town and all that stuff. And they're like, Oh, come on. You can say it. It's like, no, I'm driving to the next town, you know, but that was one of them, you know, um, that we did uh, again, a lot of times, um, I'll be honest, a lot of times I didn't do some of the wild things because I was either, a lot of times I was traveling with Barry Horowitz. And if you can know Barry, he's a straight shooter. He doesn't do any of that stuff. I mean, he's so, you know, and even, if, or sometimes maybe with Dusty and all that stuff. So we didn't do a lot of that stuff. We went from town to town. And all. Now, there was some times we went out. Uh, I know at one time I said we were in the upper peninsula in Michigan. And I went out with Scott or Razor Moon Scott Hall one time and had a few drinks with him and then, you know, He's like, oh, come on. I was like, no. I said, I'm driving home. Because that was like the last loop of my thing. And I was just driving straight home from that night. So I wasn't going to. And, and I can just imagine he probably closed the place down or whatever and all that. Because he was drinking heavily at that time or whatever and all that. But um, I didn't, you know, I said, just the guys that we, you know, travel with sometimes. Um, you heard about the stories, but I, I wasn't privy to a lot of them because I wasn't around some of those guys. Again, it's by choice. And sometimes, like when I was in WCW, I traveled with uh, Paul Roma. And Paul's not a big partier and drinker and all that stuff. So we, you know, you know, we go back to the hotel and we play pinball all night. You know, though he cheats. And I'm, I'm telling you that. And you can tell him that yeah, he cheats. That's tremendous. Well, Crippler, you've you've been very, very generous with your time tonight. We're approaching the top of the hour, but I, I want to ask this question because on the Cheap Heat Productions Wrestling Podcast, we've had the pleasure of speaking to many of the the greats in terms of star makers, as Bob Cook would, would call it, enhancement talents, what, whatever nomenclature you want to put on that. But what are your thoughts in terms of how overdue it is for some form of recognition, be it a hall of fame or some other mechanism to, to recognize the significant contribution that, that men like yourself uh, made to the business when all of us so fondly remember the, uh, the syndicated television. And do you think there's ever a possibility to uh, bring back enhancement guys on, on a regular basis, given what they did. I don't know if they'll do that now. Um, like I said, I haven't watched it much, whatever, and all that stuff. Um, so I don't, I don't know how it's geared for and all that. that again, different time, different era. Um, 
Do I wish somehow we'd be recognized? Uh, it'd be nice. I think we deserve it. Whatever happened, I don't see it. Um, do is it well deserved for those guys? I think so because you know a lot of those guys. Uh, you know, we made the stars, and if you ask some of those guys, they you know they'll admit it to a point. Now the higher ups, I don't think they think that. I don't think they think we matter. Um, again, I don't think they think that. With the, exception of, with the exception of Brett, with the exception of Brett, with the exception of Brett, with the exception of Brett Hart, who's been complimentary of Barry. No, no, I mean, there's, but I'm just not like the higher ups, like you know, like a Vince, oh, Triple H, office. the the office people. They, they, we don't matter to them. It's like, no, it's like boom. Um, and you go back and you ask some of the guys, you know, like uh, Hacksaw, uh, Jake, Ryan, you know, we helped made those guys and all that stuff, and and you know, they couldn't have been the big stars without you know without us going out there. And, and, and help creating them and all that stuff. But, you know, like I said, as far as like the office guys and the company, you know, that, there's no money in it for them. They're, they're like, people won't remember them and all that stuff. And, and yet we're out there. Um, we're, we're, we're on YouTube. We're on the, well, it used to be the WWE network and then they sold it to uh Peacock or whatever, and all they have their thing. I mean, I had so many people like, "Hey, I saw your match with da 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 da," you know, and yeah, you know, it's it's on there to view and all that. You can watch it. Um, when they came out with the DVDs, a lot of guys, um, you know, and at times when people, I still feel like calling up to the office and say, "Hey, where's my residual?" You know, I'm on the Road Warriors DVD. I'm on Mr. Perfect's DVD. I'm on Bret Hart's DVD. Jake the Snake's DVD. Ultimate Warriors DVD. You know, I'm on there and all that stuff. You know, um, in the matches or whatever. But you know, we, as far as like our circle, whether you know me, Barry, Dusty, um, Lombardi, um, Bob Cook, uh, Mario, uh, Reno, all that on that inner circle, we know what we did and what we you know helped make these guys and all that stuff. You know that I guess that's our own little clique that you know we were, we were part of well i think it's uh with with shows like uh like this and and the others again that, that we've had the uh the pleasure to interview uh i think uh you know you, you never know there there may be some some widespread uh, recognition coming because fans are you know so smart these days and and they understand more than they probably would back in the day of, of just how crucial you were to the product when, although very financially successful uh, in, in this day and age, I, I don't think there's an argument that it was better back then. No, I mean, I, I don't know. I, mean, I said, I haven't really watched much of this. I, I just, again, like I said, I consider myself pro wrestling and all that. And that's worth just the ring psychology and all that stuff. Some of the guys, you know, I had a, the opportunity to work with, you know, the, the Don Morocco's, the Paul Orndorff, just their minds and all that stuff and how we just did the matches on. I don't see that now. I mean, if I do catch a glimpse of it, I'm watching two guys go out there and hit 37 high spots. And how can I get the crowd to go, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, how can we do one? And instead of telling a story of, you know, how the match will go and all that stuff. And, and you know, I hate to say, like, the good versus evil, evil getting the people riled up and all that stuff and K 
can that still work? Yeah, if you've got guys that know how to do it. That's key. You know, and that's the trouble. I mean, you can still get some of the old guys out there, the uh, the Hall of Famers or old timers or whatever, and get in the match. And, you know, I know even on my shows, where we can still do it and tell a story and get the people riled up, and we don't have to hit 37 high spots. You just got to know how to work the ring psychology to get the people pissed off and get them excited. And that's that's what a true wrestler does. And that's lost on the young kids. That's why I always say, like, now when New York started, you know, their training thing, they're all cookie cutters. They basically all look the same, wrestle the same and all that. And it's like, okay, how many high spots are we going to hit? I mean, well, I did watch, oh, God, what was it, the one? Uh, Royal Rumble, I think it was. And every guy that came in there, it was like, okay, I got to get my 13 spots in. Boom, 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 boom. All of a sudden, then he would, here comes the next guy. Boom, 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 boom. He's got to, and it's just like, instead of just maybe going there and grabbing some guy and just wailing or, you know, punching, biting, kicking, whatever and all, instead of like shooting him in the ropes and then everybody else is just out to the side, letting him get his spots in and all that stuff. And, and, but they all, they all got to like shine. I got to get my time, my spots in. You go back and look at old Royal Rumble. That never happened. No. Those guys are on each other and all that, telling a story through the thing and all that. So real quick before you go, did I ever finish telling you the story about the Japan incident? No. Go, go ahead. Okay. Please. No, this is one when this one, I, we brought up about the Johnny Ace thing where, you know, I don't oh, have yes. use for him. So anyway, when my first tour over in Japan, for all Japan, I could first night over there wrestling. I'm wrestling Johnny Ace. And we go out and we're having a decent match, whatever. He throws me on the outside. We're fighting on the outside. All of a sudden, gives me a gut punch. Suits me up in the uh, suplex and he goes, welcome to Japan, rookie. And suplexes me on the concrete floor. Okay. I, you know, took it. Boom. So, next week, because we're, we're, work, we're working there for a month. Different guys and all that. The uh, second week, I was working the Fantastics. Great guys. Great workers. And I was working, I was in the ring with Bobby Fulton, who's a little bit smaller than me and all that. He went to go me a German suplex. Well, I was bigger than him and all that. And, and I think he had a little hesitant that he didn't think he could get me up. Well, being a wrestler, I'll go up for the move or whatever. So he really got underneath it and jacked me up or whatever. And then I, I went up real light for him and it kind of surprised him. He ended up dumping me on my neck, which he thought he broke my neck or whatever, but it didn't basically just a stinger, kind of sore neck or whatever, all that. And then going into the third week. So I had a sore neck or whatever and all that, but I'm still wrestling because that's what you got to do. And I, whoever I had to work with, I just said, hey, the neck sore, real stiff or whatever. I said, um, whatever you do, I said, no suplexes or slams. Okay. Never had a problem. We're in the third week towards the end. Who do I got to work like towards the end? Johnny Ace again. Tell him. Next sore. A little bit screwed up. No suplexes, no slams. Okay. We go out there, we're wrestling, having a decent match. He throws me on the outside. He goes to suplex me on the outside. I block it. Goes again, tries to suplex me. I block. I said, dude, you know, I got a sore neck. 
I told you no suplexes or slams. He goes, suplex, goes for it again. I block it. And give him a stiff shot. I went and got a chair. Beat the living daylights out of him where he was almost screaming. And I go, now we can go back in the ring and finish this. Or we can end it right out here. Go back in the ring. We finish it. Boom, boom, boom. Do the match. Come back to the locker room. We go at it to a point where he, he, we come at it. We're fighting back there and all that stuff. And then I'm like, listen here. ML. I go, I told you. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm calling for moves. And you all go, I go, no, you know, I got it. Next thing I know, Abdullah Butcher and Stan Hansen had to step in and, and separate us or whatever because we were going to go at it and, and all that stuff. And we were going at it or whatever. And, all. and that's why basically I have no use for him. And, I, and the best comment was, Abby, you know, walked away and goes, that little white boy ain't going to take no shit from him. And that was because that you know he was kind of up there so that was like one of the funny things then way back when he became one of the talent relate head of talent relations and people go hey why don't you go back up to wwe i go that ain't happening that's when he was in charge or whatever and all that so from that thing time i never had any use for him whatsoever and how he weaseled his way into office in wcw and wwf you know he's another one that i have no use for and then we saw what happened to him you know, where Thanks, there's abuse of power and all that. So I, I have no, he's another one I have no use for. And then the funny thing is that is later on, a good friend of mine who's Andy Shane, who's good friends with uh, Kurt Beyer and at that time Dick Beyer, the destroyer, even the story had filtered in that, you know, even Dickie's go, hey, I heard your boy got into a face. It was like a, like a legend thing going on there. Like we got into a, locker room fight or whatever back there and i go yeah it happened whatever and all that stuff but that's my all japan johnny a story that's why there's no love loss between us two well i can certainly understand that unprofessional yeah but i said that was where you know even too like the first one when i was first the first night you know when he did the suplex in the concrete like and i don't hey let me know what's coming or something like that just don't you know throw it out there hey welcome to japan rookie and it's like mm. all right the only the only person I've met through this realm that likes him is uh, Bushwhacker Luke because I think they they train together etc. Well, yeah, and he was he was he was the sheep herder's flank boy or whatever. We always used to call him his lackey and all that stuff. So yeah, but yeah, you know, but and I love and I love Luke or whatever and all that. But that, I still have no use for Johnny Ace. It's like yeah, that's all you're good for was to carry their flag. Well, Crippler, we certainly appreciate you coming back to this podcast. Uh, your experiences and stories are, are extremely entertaining. Can can I ask, do you have anything that you'd like to promote at this time or where fans can keep in touch with you on social media? Not yet. I know we'll, we'll probably do another show sometime in the summer again. Um, it's usually... Uh, July or August, I haven't sat down yet with our stadium to uh, figure it out yet or whatever. But we'll, if we do, it'll be actually, it'll be number 24, Clash 24. Um, and I might, you know, who knows? I know you're getting our buddy Mario to come up to the Great White North or whatever. Who knows? I might even be able to get him to do a road trip back to Indiana. Yes, sir. And all that stuff. Even, even though he goes, no, no, no. I go, Mario, come on. I know he'll, he'll do it just for a road trip or whatever. 
Mario, Mario coming out of retirement, I think, like was one of the most read articles last week on Sports Kida. I was informed, and I was also informed that it was the third most viewed on the day of all sports in the world. So Which, there you go. And it's and, and you know it it's fitting to a point. I mean, I I can only maybe a handful of actually wrestlers when they retire, they retire. You know. You can ask you can ask Brian that question. Um, from Stephen Dillon there. Have you been following Ahmed Johnson on our podcast, Brian? I, I, I saw some of that. I don't know. I, I haven't caught the whole gist of it yet or who's doing what or this or something like calling them out or whatever, all that. Um, I, can, I can summarize it for you that Booker T pretty much trashed Ahmed on his massive WWE product program. Ahmed didn't like it. He wanted to respond. We gave him the platform to do so because he doesn't have a podcast he doesn't have the wwe machine behind him and then they just kind of went back and forth but i think it was important to offer ahmed uh, like somewhere yeah, to talk I mean, it's, uh, there's always a beat between somebody it's you know i guess there's his side his side and the truth so i mean and i don't know uh i don't know ahmed um yeah i was gone from there i think when he was up there uh booker t I, you know, worked him in, in, in WCW and all that stuff. So, um, you know, that, that goes back to, I hate to say, you know, like the British Bulldogs, they, yeah. they terrorize everybody. Nobody, a lot of people don't have anything good to say about them. I can knock wood and before I got along with them. They never did anything. Um, you know, no jokes, no pranks, no ribs, no nothing. Um, always nice to me. Had decent matches with them in the ring. Um, so, and, and I know, you know, a Dynamite can be a real asshole. You know, I saw him do it. He never did it to me and all that. So, uh, and again, I won't, you know, I'm not, by no means do I condone any of the stuff that he did because I said some of the ribs that some of those guys did or whatever. But I, I guess I was fortunate or whatever because, and he was one of the guys um, in my career, 40-year career. Only twice have I ever taken a superplex off the top turnbuckle. And one was the Dynamite Kid. And he protected me all the way. And never right. felt a thing where we both stood up there and boom, did it. And the other one is uh, Barry Windham. Mm-hmm. And out of the, that's, you know, I've had a guy say, hey, I want to do that. I'm like, no way in hell am I letting you do it. It's just that thing of not trust and have, you know, you're going to protect me and all that. And he did it to me and Barry Wyndham are the only two guys that ever superplexed me off the top thing or whatever. And I was totally protected by both of them. Nice. There was a, there was one very good quote that came out of the show the other night. And I'll tell you what it was. Um, Ahmed said that Booker T couldn't sweep the floor at me if I handed him a broom. That was fantastic. You know, again, that's, you know, it's, you know, uh, I hate to see that because they they were both, you know, stars in their own right or whatever, but obviously there's something brewing between them or whatever, or, you know, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, and there's, there's a lot of that in the business. I mean, it, it's, yeah. you, Jack knows it being in the business and promoting it and you probably, you know, a lot of cutthroats. Like I said, one of the biggest things, quote, there's a, there's a lot of friendships and, and friends in here, but really true blue friends 
that a person has in the wrestling business is probably less than a handful that yep. they're there whenever you need them that you can call them or whatever, but everybody, Oh yeah, I'm friends with him. I'm friends. But really true blue friends that if you're in trouble, you need something. It, it's, it's far between. And yep. so many times guys will stab you in the back or cut your throat and all that. Uh, you know, I saw that, you know, a lot of times up there. Well, for for our dealings with uh, Ahmed, Tony uh, found him to be nothing but a gentleman and a class act. And he for the for the for the uh, final word on this, whatever it was between or is between him and Booker, uh, Ahmed never uh, resorted to uh, name calling and, and was very, uh, very professional in his presentation. So I have a heck of a lot of respect for him. And that's, and that's you know, and that's. Somebody like that is like, dude, what, what, what do you get out of it? By like I said, like, and, and I don't know if, if Booker T's but by, by, you know, degrading name calling all, it's like, Hey, you know, if there's something in there or whatever, speak the truth. There's somebody's going to know what's what or whatever and all that stuff. And it's just like, but again, I don't know exactly what's in it. So I, I don't really want to comment on it. I mean, I said, there's a lot, there's a lot to catch up on. You could, I don't know, knowing that, you know, we weren't there at the same time or whatever. And again, yeah. um, Having worked with Booker T, I always got along with him or whatever and all that stuff. But you know, you know, again, are we friends or friendly? I knew him more. Say hi, but you know, I'm not. So I'm I'm Switzerland. I'm not taking either side. <laughs> That's a good place to be. <laughs> yeah. But I have followed it or whatever to see who's making the snarky remarks or whatever and all that stuff. So it does have interest or whatever and all that to see, you know. Kind of like what goes on, you know, just like the same thing, I guess, you know, there was a time when Hogan and Beefcake were, and I don't know if they saw it, they had a riff. Yeah. At one time and, you know, this and that, you know, so it's, they all go through that one way or the other. Indeed. Well, fans, I think we have come to the end of another stellar edition of the Cheapy Productions Pro Wrestling Podcast. want to thank once again, Crippler Costello for his time tonight in terms of uh, going into his career. We're definitely going to keep in touch and uh, potentially have have you back again, Brian, if you're if you're so willing. Because again, uh, forty years in the business, uh, that's that's a lot of uh, ground to cover. So we really appreciate that. And fans, if you haven't already please hit the subscribe button, click the notifications in order to stay up to date with all the great content coming in 2024 for Cheap Heat Productions. I'll give the last word to Boris before we sign off. Yeah, I'm just going to thank Brian for his time. Hopefully we'll get him back up before his next event. And just before we wrap up, Jack, there's one last comment there that I think is brilliant. Oh, yes. This is this is the the highly intelligent wrestling fans that follow GP Productions. <laughs> well, maybe Good night, maybe guys. he'll like uh, chime in we, sometime or whatever and all that. You can get we him did. Out. He he was invited the other day, but he didn't show up unfortunately. So, well, we we shall see, fans. This is a continuing story, and we appreciate all. The fans of GP Productions, the wrestling podcast, and and all the other 
content on the channel, and we will see you next time. Thanks again to the Crippler. Thank you, guys. Appreciate